Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Um, okay, Yay. great. Jamie, do we need to do like a clap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want, you give a round of applause, that's fine. But no. Oh, should we all just do this? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a good way to pump us up, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. How's everybody doing? How are you guys? Deep and Casey, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Hi. Sure. Hi. <laughs> uh, I'm Casey Mink. I'm the senior staff writer at Backstage, the old magazine, and backstage.com. Um, I guess you've previously heard me on this pod, mm. most recently talking um, Emmys? Emmys. Yes, talking I feel like Emmys. you helped introduce Emmys and uh, Cecily Strong. Yes, yes. And then so we... Deep, Deep was around the same time, I think, last we heard from you. Yes? Uh, yes. Hello, my name is Deep Tran. I'm the industry news writer for Backstage. And last time I was on this podcast, I was talking about Bridgerton. Yeah, but just Bridgerton. <laughs> just yeah. Bridgerton. Right. <laughs> I was exclusively talking about Kate Winslet, so right, very on brand. Different speed today. I will only be talking about Katrina Link, even though she wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't even, there. Wasn't wasn't there. even <laughs> in the room. But you know, but her spirit was there. Yeah. So well, and Bridgerton is not relevant to this conversation. However, deep you were saying that maybe it is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> if you are not on TikTok. Oh. Uh, these two female creators, they created an unofficial Bridgerton musical. They made create oh. they create original songs and it went viral. And oh. now the songs have become an official physical album and they are in talks so to bring cool. it to Broadway. Wow, that's so cool. So there you go. And that's actually a very backstagey sort of thing. That's super inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Hey. If if you're a musical theater person and you want to get noticed, TikTok is now the place because producers do go it's, on there. It's really true. It's really yeah. true. The Ratatouille musical, like mm-hmm. it is actually very much a place for upstart creators right now across the board, not just in musical theater, but it, yeah, yeah. it's like all of a sudden become like the number one content creator tool. It's truly wild. It's amazing. And I do feel like the pandemic kind of helped that along. I was like, just going to say that's sort mm-hmm. of very much a product of the pandemic. So, yeah. you know. Other than the 18 months of being completely out of work, some great things came out of this old Doom pandemic, gloom. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so I think that for just listeners, welcome listeners, the, the point of this episode, frankly, is to finally talk about theater. And we have not had a chance to talk about the Tonys since 2019 because, and this is where, <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm going to ask Casey and Deep for their expertise here, but like uh, the trajectory of the 2020 Tonys had to take on an interesting timeline given the timing of the COVID-19 pandemic, correct? Yeah. So, Deep and Casey, and... we are here today because yesterday, for us this was yesterday, we watched 
what is essentially the 2020 Tony Awards, but they happen September yeah. 26, 2021. Well, Do you guys want to like <laughs> briefly explain why that is? <laughs> Oy, I mean, Even though it's fairly common sense. First of all, yeah. So like, just to be clear, the best musical winner last night, Moulin Rouge, opened in the summer of 2019. Right. So it has, it was, that was two years ago that it opened. It's a very long, yeah. Basically, I mean, look, they announced nominees for these Tonys 11 months ago with no plan in place to actually announce the winners. Correct. And it was sort of like all of the nominees were pretty open about the fact that they found it to be a pretty sort of insulting uh, Mm. rollout and just really frustrating. And that there was just this no man's land for 11 months of just like not, they didn't even, I think they announced that there would be these Tonys, what, two months ago? Like there was nine months where they were just, they were they were a Tony nominee and had no idea when they were going to find out if they won or lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. and instead and they were saying it would be pegged to Broadway's reopening, which of course none of us knew when that would be. That's very much a kid, exactly. practically day by day updates. <laughs> because the uh, function of the Tony Awards, in particular, and this is different from like all the other award mm. shows, yes. is the fact that the Tony Awards are usually for things are currently running that people can go see. Mm. And so the Tony Awards acts like a big commercial for Broadway yes. shows. And so, yes, it does make sense that the Broadway League and the American Theatre Wing, which mm. co-produces the Tony Awards, it would make sense they would want to wait until Broadway reopens. So, you know, everyone else in America can see the Tony Awards and be, you know, compelled to buy a plane ticket and risk COVID to go see theater again. Sure. And so in terms of the, we don't have to talk about the the exact like telecast itself, I think, but the takeaways from the, the, let's recap like the results themselves. What were the big winners? What were the notable things? I want to touch on the fact that Aaron Tveit was for the first time the only nominee in his category, for example. Basically... (laughs) how that worked is he had to still get 60% of the vote. So there yeah. was a chance that he would, that's the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't just an automatic foregone conclusion that he would win, even though he was the only nominee. And I know there were a lot of snarky people that were like, how funny would it be if Aaron Tveit lost as the only nominee? <laughs> I don't think that would have been funny at all. I think it would be very I think awkward. watching someone humiliated on live TV isn't fun. Um, I'm happy. <laughs> and also, you know, Aaron Tveit is good in that He's show. Good. I feel like it's that's a look, emblematic it's a hard of the weirdness. Show. It's the emblematic of just the weirdness of these Tonys, the circumstances, yeah. but yet even the results themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And we should we should also say that the Tonys were also very truncated. Like they only recognized shows that had an opening before February first. Yes. And so yes. that 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 meant that a lot of the categories were much smaller. That is why Aaron Tveit was the only person nominated in his category because most shows in New York and on Broadway mm. they open in March and April so that the voters can have them fresh in their minds yeah. before they start voting, which uh, really backfired a big time. Yeah, yeah. and That's even good. even a couple of the late or not even late, those shows that opened in late February and early March were deemed ineligible. I'm thinking of The Girl from the North Country. And West Side Story. And and West Side Story. Yeah, and so, and that's also why you had categories where, like, the featured actress in a musical category, I think, was, like, what, four-fifths Jagged Little Pill, right? Like, which, you know... we didn't have any musical revival uh, We didn't even have one. Oh, and, and the best score, the best original score category was all for plays because none of the original scored musicals, all three musicals that had opened were jukebox musicals. So very strange. Yeah, very strange category. It's just, look, 
at the end of the day, this season, this Tonys will always have a massive asterisk next to all of those winners and all of the sort of accomplishments. And, you know, not to not to diminish them. I mean, I am 100 percent certain that even if the season had played out as it was intended to in 2020, Adrian Warren still would have walked away with that Tony. Totally. And Danny Burstein, too, actually, for that matter. Danny Burstein, who deserves to finally be a Tony winner, for example. Yeah, yeah. Just honestly, yeah. And the inheritance. Yeah, yeah. I know, he's he's suffered so much this past year. Like, he he deserves all the good things. Really, he really does. And that Moulin Rouge performance was by far the best, as, you know, to Deep's point, that these are, these Tonys are usually intended to... Mm lure people to your show Moulin Rouge takes home the award for best job doing that for sure I was like yeah yeah, I was like oh my god I kind of like that show but now I like really want to go back to that show (laughs) truly that is an important point that is the the central point of the Tonys is we want to ignite the inner theater nerds everywhere this season is very historic, and I owe Casey a story about this, and I will write it, finish it. Today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> submit it. But the season is historic because there is now eight Black playwrights who will be getting okay. productions on Broadway, and that is a record number of playwrights. And yes. By a lot, speaks, by the way. A lot. <laughs> by a, like, very wide margin. It's not like before it was six. Like, I think yeah, before, before it was, it was two. two. Yeah. Ah. But yeah, and so and it also speaks to the fact that the industry is trying to do better, to take mm. more chances on quote unquote riskier properties mm. and vo- and new voices. Like most of these playwrights had not been produced on Broadway before, so this is a right. big deal. But you right. would not know that we were in a historic moment yeah. from watching mm. the telecast last night. Like it was a right. very a backwards looking telecast of here are some classic Broadway songs. Yeah, it's wicked. Here's some time. Because we want nostalgia these days, maybe. Yeah. But you know what? Like, there's room for both. Like, that's such a great point, Deep. Like, I just, it just occurred to me, like, why why weren't all of, I, I think six of the eight of those playwrights are still alive. Like, why didn't they have all of those living playwrights whose works are going to be on Broadway this season? Why weren't they all standing on stage together and speaking about exactly that? Because sure. most people don't know that. It would have been such a perfect opportunity to just highlight the work the in the significance of this milestone achievement and also just you what it was trying to do at many other points last night which is to say we are trying to look inwards and mm-hmm. make this a more equitable institution but literally you know someone just standing on stage saying that and then giving every single design award to a white person really does nothing to show the actual sort of tangible steps that are being taken or have been taken over the last 18 months because there are some there are some i think in general award shows are that opportunity where we it suddenly comes into clear focus walking the walk and talking the talk yeah and it's very hard to convey walking the walk but i mean i hear what you're both saying about this telecast for sure but this same conversation it's actually sort of comforting (laughs) in a weird way to to think that this same conversation about like an industry reckoning with itself and trying to actually take steps to value inclusion. Is that being reflected or not in their actions? Like award shows are just one of the many windows into that. I almost feel like this event that we saw last night is one jumping off point, but the three of us are here to provide listeners like the real deal with what's going on yeah. with the industry, which is yeah. not to contradict whatever they were whatever they were going for. But like 
let's start with the Black playwrights, right? Like, that's a historic high number of Black playwrights. The Black Theatre United group established Mm -hmm. this new thing called a New Deal for Broadway, which is all about making sure that Black artists are represented on and off stage. That's exciting. What are the other, like, walking the walk changes that this industry is, like, actually reflecting all of these conversations, would you say? Yeah, and the New Deal deal for Broadway is is actually really interesting and Mm -hmm. it it, it doesn't it reads like something very surface but there's actually something deeper in there which is the fact that all of these theater producers commercial producers unions they have signed on to this agreement saying we will not have any more non-white creative teams we'll have more diverse voters during the tony awards crazy and so it's like yeah commitment to tangible things Mm -hmm. And it was propelled by Black Theatre United, which was founded in the last year and is a group of Black artists who basically have been working behind the scenes to have these conversations to make sure that and all of these statements for change actually result in something tangible, which is why a lot of these theatre owners ha- are now willing to mm-hmm. have shows by Black playwrights in their theatres, whereas mm-hmm. before there was more of a hesitancy to give your theater to anything that's not produced by Scott Rudin. Oh, <laughs> she said his name. How do you mention him? This is another she thing that maybe listeners need to, need to know. Where are we at in terms of reporting abuse in our industry and in our communities? Well, I do think though, if we're gonna- Years ago compared to today. You know? Just just in the, in the, you know, for the sake of the casual listener. I mean, I think that maybe a lot of people understand that Scott Rudin has fallen from grace, but they might not understand the the repercussions in theater specifically. Yeah. Um, so just a little background on that is that Scott Rudin's obviously a huge prolific producer across film, television, and theater. Yeah. Um, but in theater, he for many, many years was sort of almost the closest thing that Broadway had to an artistic director. Um, He just had really deep pockets and would program a number of plays and musicals every season. Really, really high profile people would do his shows. And very crucially, because he had so many resources, he didn't necessarily have to always be leading money first. So, you know, he would program a big musical in the season that would you know, more often than not turn a profit, but then he would also line up, you know, two or three limited engagement plays that might not have the broadest appeal. I mean, I'm thinking of like Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, like that was a Mm. weird ass show and, you know, Scott Rudin produced it. And so it was, he was very revered in the theater in that way because Mm. he would produce daring, daring plays that, you know, not a lot of, that wouldn't make it to Broadway without him. Right. We are talking specifically about Broadway and, and I think the Tonys too, right? Like his productions were produced with an eye for the Tony Awards, the highest honor in theater. Always, always, 100%. And importantly, a thing that makes you money if you win a Tony a lot of the time, because if your musical wins a Tony, it's going to probably get a lot more people in the seats and you have a lot more chance of a touring production coming out of it, which is actually how you make a lot of money. Mm. Um, So that being said, it was also sort of a, an openly known secret that um, working for Scott Rudin was tough. But a few months ago, Mm. the Hollywood reporter broke a very, very thoroughly reported piece alleging 
a lot of workplace abuses. And this article sort of uh, opened the floodgates, but not immediately. Um, I don't know, Deep, you can maybe jump in on what happened there. But yeah, he is certain he has certainly been at this point, you know, removed from his status as as the well, Broadway's artistic director and yeah, it's a, it's a Which sticky situation. Which then sort situation. of provides an opportunity to rebuild and make yeah. good on a lot of these conversations and promises, right? Yeah, and, and we, we have to say, since this is an actor's podcast, that the reason that Scott Rudin was held accountable for work, workplace abuses is because a number of actors, most visibly Karen Olivo, who was the yeah. star of Moulin Rouge, mm. she she stepped down from her role saying, like, I don't want to be, in short, I don't want to be a part of the industry that will stay silent in the face of widespread yeah. abuse. And that, that then led to a protest mm-hmm. against... And Scott Rudin and a call for the Broadway League to remove him from their list of producers because if you are not part of the Broadway League, you cannot produce on Broadway. Yeah. And there was also a call for Actors' Equity to add him to their Do Not Work list. Mm. And so it was propelled by 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 artists, by by actors, by playwrights, by directors as a way of saying we cannot sweep this under the rug and this person needs to be removed from this community. And it was after that that Rudin finally released a statement saying he's going counseling and he's going to step back as a lead producer from his shows that are currently on Broadway, such as Book of Mormon and the upcoming Music Man. Gotcha. And we are going to link also to Deep your, your piece on all of the different organizations that are calling for just having more resources available to report Mm -hmm. abuse of any kind. Yeah, and obviously this has certainly, in addition to the rudin of it all, opened up that broader conversation. And yeah, again, I mean, we talk about just sort of the reckoning that this moment of pause, the 18 months of pause has had on the industry. And we talk about certainly systemic racism within the foundational racism that is, you know, Broadway. But we also talk about things like this. We talk about... Mm -hmm. Why has there been no sort of support in place to report workplace abuses? And that's not even specific to theater. I mean, that certainly happened much more in film and television, too. But it seems like theater was an extension. Yeah, I think that theater was almost a little bit behind its film and TV counterparts in that way. And so Mm. this last year and a half has really sort of been a moment to check in and see like, what can we enact for, to do things better right now? Yeah, which yeah. is so exciting. And like, there are other developments too, like um, just the simple fact that the, all Broadway theaters will be accessible in accordance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Exactly. Which is several years old. So it's about time that that happened. Yeah. Is it sort of like a, do we feel like that's better late than never? <laughs> I think a lot of this is that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's pretty much mostly that, you know. Yeah, 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 and it was only because they're about to be sued by State of New York that they did that. That so. is important to note. I read that too. Yeah, that's that's important to note. That's been true for all of the Broadway theaters over the years, and now the last of them have kind of okay said yes, we'll accommodate that. Yeah, because we don't want you to sue us, Letitia James. Please don't do that. <laughs> it's very American, I feel like. Yeah, and I also want to right. shout out the uh, Broadway Advocacy Coalition, which got mm-hmm. a special Tony Award last night, because that's yes. also another group of actors, Black actors, who have been calling for change and working. Mm-hmm. At, they started this program where they're now working with the 
cast members of different Broadway shows to put together a code of conduct and to like have a system where you can report abuses because unfortunately people say that at the beginning of rehearsals, but whenever anyone reports anything, unfortunately it doesn't always come to a resolution or is, is ever really addressed. And so when I did a story about that and the person I talked to, Britton Smith, he said that they are also doing follow-ups with the shows to just to make sure that all of these values that they put that they put forward are being met. And so I think it's going to yeah. wow. change will happen, but it's going to take a lot of accountability, a lot, a lot of, of accountability. Yeah, that was yeah. I was literally just going to say the word that that is being used more than any other right now is accountability. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, for better or worse, it's just there hasn't been as many eyes on this particular area of the industry. And now yeah. there is, now there yeah. is. And it, you know, it took a lot out of, of necessity. It took a lot. Yeah. Out of necessity. It took a lot of injustice, decades of it, decades of yeah. inequality, decades of, you know, systemic inequity. But look, we're here. We're at this moment now where it does feel like, if for no reason other than they will get in trouble for not doing it, they mm-hmm. have to do it, you know? Sure. They don't want to be dragged think- on Twitter anymore. Exactly. Even <laughs> I mean, if it's yeah. just out of posturing sake, like, okay, at least it's still happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Dragged on Twitter is a great point, too, because it reflects how technology and social media have, have changed the game. Everybody has a voice. It is easier to, yeah. it is a little bit more democratic in terms of, like, making people heard, I think. Would you say, like, super big picture, years from now, looking at the entertainment industry in general, but I guess theater in particular, the pandemic is going to have these great benefits because it was an opportunity or maybe, like we're saying, an obligation (laughs) to reassign some values, to reassess, to rebuild even. And like we're saying, it is not easy. It's not overnight. And it takes a ton of accountability and work and introspection but introspection is kind of the name of the game for 18 months of, of inactivity and, man, you know, navigating a scary, deadly, unprecedented virus, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And, like, I think, I mean, I was doing a lot of reporting on Black Lives Matter in the theater industry mm. last summer when the when the upswell protests had just sort of begun. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I spoke to... to I spoke to Britain from Broadway Advocacy Coalition as well. I talked about this with... Miss Audra McDonald, yes, not too long ago. And who is also yeah. a co-founder of Black Theater United. Who's exactly all- Exactly. And yep. and she said, you know, the same thing, which is that like, I don't know that this would have happened were it not if we were not in a moment of pause. Because yeah. it's so especially with Broadway, dude, that is eight shows a week. It is no joke. You are Oh yeah. You are in service to that show at all times. Good like point. Yeah. It is very hard to sort of step back and have have other priorities because your priority is just doing the show and, you know, giving as much of yourself as you possibly can to that performance every night, eight times a week. And yeah, everyone sort of said the same thing, which is like, you know, obviously this is horrible, but in a way I'm grateful for this moment of pause yeah. because it's really allowed us to step back and look at bigger picture things and maybe come back not doing things exactly the same as we have for a hundred years yeah and that sort of brings me to like um the the thing that we haven't really touched on in addition to all of this of course pause and introspection it's almost like the machinery of broadway 
is put on hold and therefore you then get to look at the factory and look at the machinery and be like, well, what's working, what's not. In addition to all of that, or coinciding with all of that, you've got to figure out how to return to theater safely. We're still in a pandemic. Yeah. I'm asking the two of you because I truly don't know all of the details and listeners, we will link to so many of these guys' amazing reporting. What are the safety measures in place? What are the rules? Let's start with like New York City theater, but I guess we also have to touch on what's going on with regional theaters and navigating COVID. Deep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that, that that's just been me. Get, keeping on top of what the unions are yeah. are putting out and who yeah. they're putting the onus on. Okay, so right. act so actors equity. The policy for actors equity at the theater union is similar to the policy for SAG AFTRA, the uh, film and TV union, which is they are allowing producers to man. This is I'm just speaking generally before I go specific. Yeah. Actors Equity is allowing producers to mandate vaccinations on in productions, and so it, the, what that means is they can require any actor that they hire and uh, any any crew member that they hire to be vaccinated, mm-hmm. with exceptions for health really reasons and religious reasons. That's that's the more general thing. And in New York specifically, though, it's very, really interesting because under New York City law passed by um, Mayor Bill de Blasio, Mm -hmm. any restaurant, gym, public performance venue, like Uh they mandate vaccinations of everyone who enters the space, audiences and performers as well. And so that overrides producers and even unions, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I believe Los Angeles might be doing something similar because they started doing it with restaurants. Yes. So it does depend on individual cities. And I guess we're seeing this in the biggest cities Um, and regional theaters. Like you're saying, it is it is up to the individual producers, but dictated by policies from these unions. So I know that there are some regional productions that have had issues with breakthrough cases or with unvaccinated people because the rules are not as strict, basically. Well, the rules aren't unanimous across the board. Like they right. can mandate vaccines, but they don't have to mandate them if they don't want to, because that's a very expensive thing. But right, if sure. you don't mandate vaccinations, then you have to test actors more often, like multiple times a week, too. which is exactly. also very expensive. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so producers are having to figure out what's less expensive. Mm. And most of the time they are opting for mass vaccinations because it is the cheapest option. Okay. Yeah. And the interesting thing is as well, if you get a breakthrough case in your cast, it doesn't mean you shut down the show. You just got to isolate that person. Mm -hmm. Which is going to. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens in that in that vein, because I mean, in London, you know, they opened up in the West End way before Broadway did. They have not had such luck. Um, a, (laughs) A lot of a lot of West End productions have had to shut down due to COVID cases. And so far, I mean, look, I don't want to jinx anything, knock on all the wood. Um, and, you know, yeah. obviously we haven't had a ton of shows open, but, you know, Waitress has been open for almost a whole month now. We Passover. got a number. Passover has been open for more than a month now. Yeah. And- Passover was the first play and j- shout out to Bruce Springsteen, who was the first production. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. neither of them have had to shut down. That's They've exactly. Playing all exactly. Summer. And yeah, and we have we now have, you know, that on the 15th, I think it was, was a really big night with, you know, Wicked, Hamilton, Chicago, reopening. Mm. So far, everything is, and even Waitress did have a COVID case and that cast member was isolated and mm. the production has just kept it, kept it moving. Wow. Yeah. And I think the difference between New York and London is in London, they're not mandating that 
audience members are vaccinated. Exactly. And so, gotcha. frankly, <laughs> that seems like it's working. And that seems like a well, good idea. Knock on yeah. wood, you know? <laughs> Again, exactly. yeah. Well, and that's where, and this goes without saying, but I'm saying it anyway, like everything that we've just said, as with all news around COVID, this is true on Backstage.com, it's true on this podcast. This is true of this week. <laughs> and a couple of weeks from now, it could be a completely different situation, you know? Yeah. We could have we could have a national vaccination mandate weeks from now. I don't know. That's that sounds like the extreme version, but and this is support, all to say, you know? yeah, right. Yeah, this is all to say, like this is this is where we're at now, and it seems like it's it is indicative of if that's where New York City theaters are at in terms of the strictness of those vaccinations. And it's such a good point that producers are having to choose based on cost. Yeah, what makes the most sense? Then we are probably getting more and more towards masks, vaccinations required, right? All of that stuff. And I mean, not to, you know, dwell on it or anything, but well, first of all, I mean, I, I, and I believe deep too, was here for all of the pandemic. I was here in March of 2020. So that said, like, I really think New York just generally is taking this very, very seriously and just not f-ing around. Mm. And that's why there is this vaccine mandate. And, but that being said, it has created some issues in regards to not everyone wants to get vaccinated and I'm not this is not the place where we're going to pass judgment on that but there was a very public incident with a performer having to leave a production a concert production and again as reported on backstage.com so we can totally shout it out yeah so I mean the actor (laughs) (laughs) okay cool so the actor Laura (laughs) Osnes was very public and it was it turned into like a very salacious situation because the New York Post is the one that broke the story. And then she sort of doubled down on it on her Instagram and just sort of turned into an ugly situation. But yeah, she did leave a production because they had required vaccination and she didn't want to be vaccinated. And that is her prerogative. But um, yeah, it's just it is reality. Yeah, it is a reality that we're in right now. And obviously mm-hmm. this is very uncharted territory. But ultimately, it's like people are doing the best they can producers are doing the best they can to make decisions that is going to keep everyone in their cast and everyone in the audience safe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No one wants to shut down a show again because that is more expensive, you know, in the long run. <laughs> that's the, than, no, that's uh, the other thing. Shutting yeah. down a show after you've mounted it again is just exorbitantly expensive. You like, you can't do it. You can't come back after shutting down again. Really? I feel like this is an emerging theme in this conversation is like, it's, it's, um, it comes down to the finances, right? Like people are willing to change if it costs them. And yeah, like you're yeah. saying, if that's, it's better than, better than not, right? Like, okay, maybe the intent behind the change isn't super wholehearted or empathetic, but what matters is that there's change ultimately. Look, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. No one's ever said it before. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Broadway is a business. All right. Oh no, this is great. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes. you've heard it here on Backstage.com. It's actually just breaking <laughs> news. Broadway is a business, but it is, and it's not yeah. an uncynical one. And like, yeah, if it comes down to affecting your bottom line, then it's probably going to have a, a, a quicker impact than yes. if it didn't. And I yeah, think it was the same as film and TV as well, though. I was like, going to say, yeah. You only invest in it if you if you realize, oh, a lot of people went to see Crazy Rich Asians. And so therefore we should give more money to Asian things. Yeah, exactly. That's a business transaction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And it is it's just sort of true that, like, because it's art that we're talking about, this is film, TV and theater. We, of course, get emotional about it. We those of us on the periphery, those of us right. in the industry, those in the audience, 
there's we're naturally going to feel like, well, this is a an art form that's built on empathy. So shouldn't the business be reflected on that? But we have to remember, right. it's a business. Right. There's money involved. You know exactly. Exactly. I think that's a, a fair and not too cynical point that we can have in this conversation, right? Yeah. yeah I, and uh, but but I will say that one one of the things that I'm exploring in that story that I will turn into Casey at some point today <laughs> is, is is the fact that yes, Broadway is a business, but at the same time, producing a play on Broadway is really tough in normal times, and it's even tougher now because audiences are really hesitant to go back to the theater. Generally, like they'll risk it for Hamilton, they may right. not risk it for a show <laughs> by a playwright that they're that they've never heard of before, and so. Sure. A lot yeah. of these black playwrights that that I've been speaking to, like they have an uphill battle ahead of them mm. in order to sell tickets and market their shows. And I'm hoping the conversation turns turns into not a uh, oh these shows didn't make any money because it should that should not be p- part of the conversation right now because gotcha. very few things are making money at the moment in theater because no one right. is, the very few people are showing up relatively yeah yeah that's right. actually that's so great because I do think it's just again big picture the arts in general that's an uphill battle like listeners of this podcast know that choosing a career in the arts this is why we're here to guide them through that career right. it's hard it's not right. handed to you on a silver platter and you're not ex- you're the odds of making a living doing it are very difficult. And I mean, and might as well be realistic about it. Yeah. And I mean, everyone knows the statistic of even a musical turning a profit on Broadway. What is it like two in every 10 shows turn a profit? So that means, wow, you know, 80% of every Broadway show that opens is going to close at a loss and not just a loss, like a massive loss. (laughs) Like if you don't make your money back on Broadway, you are almost always taking a huge financial hit. And you know, most of the time- And these days, who knows? It's probably lower, less, right? There's not as many audience members these days. Yeah, and so it really is just a sort of thing of like, you're doing it because you really believe in the thing. You really believe in your thing and you are maybe, if you are able, willing to take that risk because you think that getting butts in the seats and eyes on your thing is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually a really uncynical way of looking it's at it. It's actually kind of verging yeah. on cheesy inspirational, which Pure. is exactly what we love. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and the conversation about like bringing more works by, you know, buyers of color on Broadway is, is to just let them fail at the same rate that yes. white men are allowed to fail. There you go. That is the thesis statement. Oh my God, I want to get that tattooed on my... Yep. <laughs> on my cheek. I That's love that. That's what equity means. That's what we what we exactly. mean when we talk about equity. Exactly. I got to I got to let you guys go. Back to your amazing reporting on backstage.com on all of this. And listeners, I think in today's episode description and in the article that goes with this this episode, we're going to just be linking to like all of the broad, all of the theater articles that we've been publishing for the last year and a half, frankly. Although again, a lot of it is news. And a lot of it is subject to change, right? Right. Always. Yeah. But what are the takeaways in terms of, um, we're also gonna link to, I wanna link to like this arts.gov list of resources I have, Mm -hmm. which is for related to COVID-19 relief for working artists. The public theater has a really great list. Actors Equity has some resources. What else do listeners need to come away with? I'm putting you both on the spot. Keep reading backstage to stay informed. Well, obviously, duh, it's a given. (laughs) But I mean, just to say it, obviously, if you are able and you feel comfortable, please go see a show 
on Broadway, off Broadway. If you are not in New York, in your local community, there is theater literally everywhere in this country. And even if it's not, you know, a national touring production, there's so much great theater and and it's literally everywhere, literally everywhere. Go see a show. Um, Other than that, I mean, look, it's been it's been a really weird, hard, bad, hopeful period for the old theater. I am cautiously optimistic about a lot of things Hmm. going forward and ultimately just really happy that it is back. Yeah, like maybe the advice is hang in there and keep tapping into like the resilience and creativity inherent in this amazing industry. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. (laughs) (laughs) It's like we're still here like that Sondheim song. There you go. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, only if only Deepy would just break into song right now and just start singing that. That would be the perfect end to this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to be judged by a bunch of actors about my singing. I would also just like to add that going off of the what we were just talking about with masks and vaccination, another thing that you as an individual can do, listener, is to, you know, participate Get in vaccinated. public health and be safe. Yeah. Get vaccinated. Hey, That's, can, can, will, can, will you have to cut that if I say that? No, no, no. no. Get vaccinated. I yeah. do not want people... In, on Broadway or in the theater industry getting sick because of your irresponsibility. There you go. We are reporting on the facts and the facts are, as we are seeing, vaccinations and masks work to prevent the spread of COVID. And so that is what people can and should do. Yeah, please. <laughs> and, and I think like another take, uh, another takeaway I'd, I'd want to give the listeners is, mm-hmm. and this is this has been inspired by, you know, the reporting I've done around like artists speaking up about, you know, unsafe work conditions or things that made, made them really uncomfortable and would, what they wish would change, such as not doing eight shows a week anymore, maybe. Oh, sure. Rehearsals, yeah. that kind of thing. And it's because people have been willing to speak up about it and to say this show is not worth my health. And so I just want to tell the listeners, if you are ever feeling unsafe and yeah, exactly. We love art. Art is life changing, but it is not worth your life. Speak up. And that is true. If you work in theater, that is true. If you work in TV, that is true. If you work in film. Absolutely. I honestly might go on strike because of this. And so exactly. There you go. I, I support people not wanting to work because they're being abused. Workers another big rights. takeaway from the exactly. pandemic. Yeah. Another, Workers another rights. benefit of the pause, I would say. Yep. Is we are going to prioritize these things. We're going to treat people like people. We're going to, we're going to value human life over um, the profit yeah. of, of yep. eight shows a week. Reflect mm-hmm. the empathy that is inherent in the art, in the business. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do you think about? Way to tie it yeah. all together, you guys. Great work. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, and uh, as Deep just mentioned, Yahtzee, uh, we will definitely have reporting on that, and we already do. So again, I want the biggest takeaway for listeners to be go to backstage.com and check out these guys reporting, and we'll link to so much of this um, in today's episode. But thank you, Casey and Deep, our resident theater experts. Woo, Thanks, Jack. Love to come back yeah. and talk about more theater on this podcast. Yeah, probably. exactly. Now that it, we can, exactly. It is, it is really exciting that it is sort of, it is a Thank new goodness. dawn. It is a renaissance and we can Thank talk about goodness. theater again. Thank goodness. Yes, I'm really, yeah. My inner theater nerd is very excited about that. In the 
Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.